You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little mudsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers the king. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, today I had the good fortune of talking to Sarah Fardy. Um, She could almost be Dr. Sarah Fardy, but not yet. Not yet. She told me to say she's almost Dr. Fardy, but she's not yet. Dr. Fardy, almost Dr. Fardy. Sarah Fardy is a scientist who specializes in immunology and epidemiology, which is about perfect for what is going on right now with the pandemic situation here on Earth. Um, Now, I had a great time talking to Sarah, and I don't know if it was because Sarah's an awesome person or because just haven't had anyone around for a chat for a while, you know, just like uh, it's really nice to see someone's face and have a chat. We did wear masks and we did the social distancing and there's the uh, hand sanitizer on the table and the windows were cracked. We did it proper. Um, Yeah, had a great time talking to Sarah. And I'm not going to... I won't bang on too much about Sarah, but she is an amazing human doing amazing things. And I'm very grateful that she came over and gave me her time. Uh, you can check uh, you can check her out. She's got a um, she does a live chat on Facebook called Farty Facts, um, and she's been an amazing uh, source of information for for us down here on the coast who have been. Uh, we'll hand it up to the gills with mainstream media. Um, she gets on and she she says uh, what we need to hear uh, without the um, without beating around the bush, which is always nice. Uh, straight shooter, you might say. Um, now uh, it's a weird time, and if you're anything like me, you've been spending time by yourself, and it gets a bit cerebral, um, or you've been in a house with other people, and and I know that that can get cerebral as well. Um, too much time with no matter how much you love someone, it just gets can get weird, uh, and and it is a weird time, you know. So just keep checking in with everyone. I think is an important thing as we move through this this strange time. If you've got you know friends that you if you're thinking about them, give them a call. Give them a call. You know, uh, there's no harm in checking in on your friends regularly ever but like at the moment i think it's important that we keep talking um because a chat can just change someone's day mood moment um so you know no matter what's going on reach out and if you don't feel like reaching out and someone knows someone who is pulling back a bit noticing that that just give them a give them a shout out you know um it's great. I got a call from a mate this morning. Just, how you doing? You good? Yeah. Good. Good. Checking in. And just just that, you know, makes a difference. It really does. Um, yeah, because it's a, it's a weird time and it's a weird time and space on earth, full stop. And I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Now, this is something like, don't get me wrong. I like, you know, baby boomers are all right. They're our parents. You know, well, maybe if you're younger and you're listening to this, your parents are Gen Xs, but I'm a Gen X and my parents are boomers, right? 
Love them to death. Love them to death. But what... So now I'm going to change gears. What I think... There is a problem, undeniably. I can talk to boomers and they're saying there's a problem. Well, I think... I'm not telling you I've got the answer. But there is a problem when... People in their 60s and 70s are still running the world. I think 90% of leaders, I've been looking on Google and I can't find a statistic on this, so maybe boomers are hiding it. But I think most world leaders are boomers. They're in their 60s or 70s. Now, shouldn't you in your late 60s and 70s be on the golf course or uh, reading a book under a tree and enjoying life? Um, instead of like trying to keep this iron grip over countries. And I, and I don't get it. It's like, you know, um, I'm 43 now, and I'm not saying that I should be a world leader, but I know that there are people out there who are in their late 40s, early 40s, early 50s, you know, mid-50s, later 50s, that are more than equipped to, to run countries and I just don't understand when we're when we're having a you know an election coming up in America, and I want to say it, but we got two fucking geriatrics, you know, running for it, and 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 I and look, Trump, whatever, we get that, um, and Biden, he's probably a really really nice guy, and he's a war vet, and he's and I would take him over Trump any day, but. Still, he's in his 70s. You're trying to tell me in a country of 360 million people or whatever the fuck that number is, that there's not someone in their 40s or 50s who's a progressive, super intelligent human being that can't do a better job, that's more in touch with the youth, that's more in touch with um, people across the board and not just looking down their nose because how the fuck does a 70 year old know what is going on for someone who is young and these young people are our future and i just don't understand why the fuck we are being driven into the ground by people that took us there in the first place and if you're if you're older and you're listening to this i'm really sorry i'm not bashing on all all of you but i am bashing on the world leaders and and i don't understand what the structure is at the moment that just says you know like scomo I don't know how old he is, 60, I don't know. But he's too old, he's a dick, fuck him off. But um, there's three, I can think of three. There's Jacinta Ardern, and she's got her haters, for sure. Like I hear people bash on her all the time. Um, you've got uh, Canada, Tradu, um, he's young, progressive, uh, and you've got Kim, Kim Jong-un. And I don't know if you've seen Kim Jong-un lately. Um, someone sent me a photo of him the other day. He, I've, I've worked it out. His haircut, his haircut, he's in love with Dennis Rodman. He loves the basketball thing. His haircut is an 80s hip-hop haircut. Look at it. It's shaved on the sides. It's fucking straight up. It's almost vanilla ice. Um, but nonetheless, there's three. There's three young leaders. The rest are old. So I don't know what or where I'm going with this other than I'm just saying I'm noticing that and everyone's saying the same thing we need change um, but we're never going to get it with people who are of old school thinking we need new blood new progressive heads 
And, and unfortunately, I don't know why, but, you know, like an Elon Musk, you know, progressive, super smart. Maybe all these smart people are going into business because there's just not money in politics and who gives a fuck? They're just going to go and make their money and live their life. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with this rant. I hope you really enjoy my chat with Sarah Fardy. I had a really good time talking to her. Um, and I'll stop. I'll see you on the other side. You think Adios. this is, is interesting? Wow. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total barfarama. It probably wasn't until I got to high school where I really found kind of my groove with science. Uh, I went to Oberon in Geelong and my science teacher was um, Mr. Dangerfield. John Dangerfield. Fucking great name. <laughs> well, he's got a very talented son. <laughs> um, oh, footy player or something. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So Dangers, he was my inspiration. He was just the best science teacher. He made everything fun. Nothing felt like hard work with him. Um, probably came across him in about year 10 and then stayed with him, made sure I was in his classes all the way through to year 12. And that was it. I loved science. So I, when you say science, though, what like biology? The, biology. And so I had him for biology, and I also had him for PE, which had like a science component to it in the um, understanding of biology of the respiratory system, um, biomechanics, and anything to do with use of energy in the body. So I had him for both those streams of my. That's sort of, kind of cool that you had the same person through yeah yeah that's rare isn't it it's super rare um so when i came back so you know when i came back to high school in this um they do these valedictories you know like where they have like the full school come there and then someone comes back to do a big speech yeah, yeah so yeah. after i finished uni they asked me to come back and i was at csiro at the time they asked me to come back and talk about my high school years and ha what happened to me after that and yeah, Dangers was one of those teachers that stuck with me that whole time, um, as well as my Indonesian teacher, um, Ibu Sugianto. And I ended up doing a Bachelor of Indonesian Language and a Bachelor of um, Science for my undergrad. So I couldn't pick between them. So I just did both. <laughs> so you did Indonesian from year seven to year 12? Yeah. So you're fluent pretty much. And then I did a Bachelor, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I remember uh, we did Indonesian in Year Seven, and I and I. <laughs> for the it. I just I've, I've always struggled with languages, but I just never could. I wish I knew now what I knew then. I would have yeah. been, you know really gone for it. But I think what happened, um, why I just grabbed onto to all of this education was that I actually grew up in New South Wales till I was twelve, and I lived in a really poor socioeconomic area in housing commission really had no opportunities in front of me, my single mum, like single parent, and she wasn't really inspiring in education. Then when my twin sister and I moved down here to be with our dad. So he, which which part of New South Wales? Um, in Winoona. Yeah, keep going. Um, Where is that? It's in, it's north of Wollongong, maybe 20 minutes north of Wollongong, like Balambi, Bulai, Winoona, Thoreau, um, sort of like the Shoalhaven, I think it's called. Anyway, sort of yeah. south of Sydney. And my mum was from western suburbs of Sydney. So, like, school education, none of that was important to her and it wasn't something that she pushed us to do. Um, so when we moved down here to be with Dad, 
you know, all my aunties and uncles and my grandmother, they all finished university. They all had really good jobs and really passionate about education. So I think being pushed and being given opportunity to learn down here was something that both my sister and I just grabbed onto because we were thirsty for it, but no one was giving it to us where we grew up. It's that's awesome. Good on you. That like I. It was a huge change. Yeah, like if, it's a huge if, change. But you, it sounds to me like you could have gone two two ways. Totally. And the people that I grew up with in that from that area, they all had kids by the age you know of twenty one. None of them went to uni, or if any did, very small number did. They're all you know still living in that same area, housing commission, and the cycle just continued for them. And if my sister and I hadn't have left, yeah, I don't know what would have happened. And do you mind if I ask, do you guys, was it your choice to leave? It wasn't. So we were away at grade six camp and something had happened with my mum and her friendship group. It was a volatile community, a lot of drinking, um, a lot of leaving the children to their own devices and when we came back from camp, something had gone down yeah. in their friendship group. Yeah. And it was a Friday, come home from camp and literally mum packed us a bag and put us on a train and we had to leave. <laughs> so I didn't go back to school. I didn't say goodbye to any friends. It was just go and live with your dad. I've got to sort some shit out. I'll be down when I can. So probably three months later, she came down. What a thing to deal with. Like that's your world absolutely ripped out from underneath you yeah we were traumatized like losing our friends i think was huge because we didn't know anybody down here we we didn't really know dad like we we grew up without him until i met him when i was like 11 (laughs) properly yeah you know and we're being shipped off to this 35 year old <laughs> bachelor around Jan Juck, um, who had a beach shack, um, who had, you know, two bungalows in his backyard where his mates lived. You know, he didn't know what he was getting into. We didn't know what we were getting into. And it was definitely life changing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't have the kinds of communications we had now to tell our friends what was going on. It was like, okay, you had to write a letter, you know, I'm sorry, I can't come back, you know, and, you know, you have these letters for a couple of years and it wasn't until Facebook really came around that we were able to reconnect with those friends and they're like, what happened? Why did you guys leave? You know? So abruptly. It, It was horrible. Yeah. And I think you don't really understand the impact until you're an adult and you can see it happening to other children. Like I, at the time, just roll with the punches, you know, like, oh, we're going to live with dad by the beach where we get to um, go to the surf shops and, uh, <laughs> you know, we get to wear rip curl and we get to do all, like have, have surfboards and do all this fun stuff with dad and our cousins down here. You don't kind of think about, other than losing your friends, you don't really think about the trauma that that gives to two little young beach twins anyway but yeah I think rolling with the punches is what we did for a very long time and that's how we had grown up as well like rolling with the punches whatever was going on in mum's life we just had to go with it you know 
a house, you know, a so house burnt this, down. Was this, whoa, whoa, your house burnt down? <laughs> well, mum was out with friends and um, carrying on whatever she was doing and Gemma and I would be left to our own devices. So, you know, we had made hot chips on the stove, but Party of Five was on as well in the other room. So the hot chip oil was bubbling away and came out to check on the chips and the whole house was on fire, you know, and oh evacuating. We were looking after some other woman's kid at the same time and, you know, fleeing that situation. There was a lot of rolling with the punches back then. Um, but all of it's made me very resilient. So was this in the, shit. was this in the nineties? Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. And so since you've been back down here in Janjak, you have, you, you haven't gone back up. Uh, I've done like drive-bys, you know, when you yeah, 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 you know, go yeah. back to circle around where you used to live. Yeah. Obviously, everything's like, whoa, is it so small? We can't remember. Do you see different trees and... Everything. Yeah. You just re- all of it comes flooding back, you know, rollerblading up and down the street. That's the spot where I, you know, chipped my tooth and lost half my tooth. You know, all that comes back every time. But Do you think things seem smaller? So small. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, wild, of course, it? they're smaller, you know, like... Yeah, you... But it's not like we've grown hugely. They're <laughs> no, not giants, I know, though. You know? I know. <laughs> yeah, that's and this. Yeah, the distances are definitely a lot um, shorter than they seemed in your mind. You know, like I used to walk to school every morning, and yeah, that seemed like a really far away. But it's really just like two blocks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know it's wild. Yeah, but I think there is some sort of elasticity that happens with a child's mind that makes You're so pliable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just have to adapt. You, you literally like putty and. If you're, if you're not, you know, rolling over it and molding into the next shape that you have to come across, you really end up probably, you know, living in those commission houses still and or reverting back to that kind of behavior once you are in a new environment. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to tell a friend of mine the other day, cause you know, he's just, it is a rough time. It's a rough time and he's gone through something, something heavy too. He's got four kids and, um, you know, I was just trying to explain to him that like, I'm also from a broken home and mm. you know, like I've turned out pretty good and like kids are really resilient as long as you just, you guide them with love and you know, they can go through a lot. Mm, definitely. And I think, I think having my sister with me through the whole journey we couldn't have done it without each other. Yeah, yeah. If we had have been um, on our own, there's no way we would have got through it the way that we did, because every time there was a drama with you know with our living situation or whatever was happening, we had each other and we had, you know, all right. So obviously we're both running away together, and all right. Well, you pack this pack in your bag. I'll pack this stuff in my bag, and we're in it together. You know, like that was what we had. We had each other and we went off together to come and move down here. So that bond is never going to break. Are you, are you twins? <laughs> yeah. Identical. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, identical. Yeah. And, um, and you guys are still just as tight today. Thick as thieves. Oh, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, okay. So then you, you were excelling in sciences through school. Yeah. And now, uh, did you go from school? Did you go straight to university? Straight to uni. Bang, straight in. So you've been super driven. Well, I guess, you know, I floated. I floated a lot. Is floating <laughs> like your way of like, because you're very academic? <laughs> wherever else, what do you mean floating? Okay, so I, I had the capacity to do 
you know, a lot of things at school. I didn't necessarily take, take, I loved learning and doing all that stuff, but I didn't have any direction of what I was going to do. No idea. So year 12 was like, okay, don't be like mum. knuckle down, do everything you can to get, to make something better for yourself. Don't end up there. And that was the driver that became the driver. So passionate about what I was doing, but more passionate about getting out, more passionate about becoming someone and doing something that I could be proud of, that I could be the the auntie or I could be the, the, the role model that could help, you know, someone else look up to and go, okay, well, there's someone in my family I want to be like. And that's what my role of life, like, that's what I want to do. So I was passionate, but I wanted to become a role model so um now going into uni Mm. with all that in mind and you're specifying in science Mm -hmm. that's pretty broad yeah so i ended up picking like an immunology stream again guided by teachers that i really liked and that um you know really immunology, studying the immune system. Okay, yes. Yeah, so I had a couple of key teachers that I really liked. Like, I hated chemistry. It couldn't – like, that's science, but I hated it. I hated chemistry. I hated math, but I really liked biology and studying the human body. So that's the stream I continued to choose and then, you know, roll through five years at uni with my double degree that becomes an immunology major. And then again, along the way, met some really passionate people um, who were teaching and got, you know, given the opportunity to do um, internships and these, you know, intensive programs at CSIRO. And then just guided by the people who had passion around me, I, I just kept wanting to feed off their passions. Yeah. And so immunology... Say it again. I M M. Yeah, don't spell it. Just say it. <laughs> immunology. Immunology. So when I think of immunology, I, like lately, I've just been thinking about Wim Hof. Yeah. You follow that guy? Yeah, I've and done a Wim Hof training course. Shut up. Mm-hmm. So when he talks about the um, autoimmune system mm-hmm. not being so auto mm-hmm. and it being a that's something you can control, mm-hmm. being an immunologist over there. Yeah. <laughs> He's amazing. What's your take on that? He's amazing. I think that we still don't know everything about the human body. I think that there are there is so much more potential that we are not tapping into and that Wim has the brain to see that and he's creating um, a movement to tap into that part of the unknown. Like that's research. What he's doing is he's pushing boundaries and the stuff that he's doing is scientifically proven. So I'll rarely get behind anything that I can't physically see the data for the, um, you know, the results of, and he's done that. He is an incredible human (laughs) and the things that he's been able to overcome in his, um, personal wellbeing and health and the way that he's been able to teach others is incredible. And I've done, yeah, one of his training courses. Where did you do it? I did it in Fitzroy um, with this guy named Mark Kluger. I think his name is Mark Kluger. He um, is a disciple of Wim. So he's been taught by Wim and he now has 
the training tools, you know, bestowed on him by Wim to do these programs. So it was, I've, it was incredible. Like the feelings that, that came up and the emotional, um, trauma unloading, which is part of that, you know, whole ethos of, of tapping into these subconscious, subconscious and unknown and what's holding you back. Um, you know, that's, part of the the healing process and what he did in in that training for me was just like I can still feel tingles on my arms but it went for hours (laughs) so do you have the app you don't have to no I don't have the app no so I've got the app at the moment and you do the fully in yeah uh, so Mm -hmm. I don't know what 40 times then you release you you breathe out and hold your breath for I can controlled hyperventilation Okay, so yep. then you go to the two-minute mark yep. and then you have a deep one in for yep. 15 seconds mm-hmm. and you repeat. I, yep. I always get bored after about three minutes, but the high at the end of yeah. the three-minute one is like... Yep. So today I did it and I did four rounds. Yeah. And I realised at the end of the fourth round, I'd forgotten what I was doing. Yeah. I didn't know where I was. And I was sort of like, okay, I'm really teetering on the edge of um, <laughs> being in and out of conscious here. Yeah, yeah, from yeah. either... It's... Um, Hypoxia. So you're basically depriving your brain of oxygen um, in a way that's supposed to be controlled. And that's just one part of the Wim Hof method. Um, then I had a cold shower. Yeah, okay, then you had a cold shower, right. So we did what you've described. I think we did 10 rounds. That's um, intense. And then we did um, the like a full ice bath. So yeah, um, yeah. they had a pool and it was filled with ice. Uh, and it was intense. It, I didn't. I didn't know anything about Wim Hof before I went that day, so I had a really good friend of mine, Jess Curl. Um, she, she's kind of like my spirit guide. She just said to me, "We're gonna do this thing." Uh, I was like, "I don't know anything about it." She's like, "You like, let's just do it." So I didn't look it up. I didn't do anything. I just turned up and was there and did it. And it was yeah, it was really awakening. How awesome. Yeah, it was cool. So, but I got the full body twitches. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I was freezing. Um, I was, yeah, like full, could not control my body. It was shaking in a way that was, I guess it was the hypoxia, the depriving of oxygen, but it was the places my brain went was weird. No, but I get the weird twitches too on the inhaling. Yeah, okay. Like yep. when you're saturating. Yeah, yep. And I don't know what that's about. Oh, I don't know. So I, after the course, obviously, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. Let's let's work out what was going on here. And I, I wrote a big long list of all the things that had happened and sent them off to the instructor. And I was like, give me the lowdown on what was happening and why this happened and this and this and this. He was like, I don't know. <laughs> Okay. Great. <laughs> awesome. Great. Yeah. Okay, guess I'll go do my own research. And it's about the yeah, like the saturation of oxygen after being deprived and you know what that does to the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. So yeah. So mm. how often do you think you should be doing that? Because I went through a period recently where I was doing it as soon as I woke up and the last thing I did when I went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking I'm oh, doing it too much. Mm-hmm. Um Well, it- I don't think there's anything as too much. Like I think there's a window. Like there's people that do it like three or four times a day. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I wasn't. I yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Okay. So that's the. Um, that's when I think about immune. I'm thinking okay. Wim. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, but hold on. Don't. 
stop I'm wrong, obviously, but <laughs> maybe I'm not. Um, didn't you study pandemic stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So Is that my, part of immunology? Yeah. So my okay. last year of uni, I did this project for this, um, in this subject, it was an online subject and it was basically it's epidemiology. So it's just number tracking and data maps movement. But one of the really cool things that we got to do was take um, data from H5N1, so pandemic influenza in birds, avian influenza, and create a project around it. So did this project and I was like, what the hell is a pandemic? What's an endemic? What's endemic? What's pandemic? Like, what do all these things mean? And that was my first taste of, holy shit, this is the kind of stuff that can wipe out the planet. And at the end of that year, I had this project, which I was really proud of. And I ended up using it as part of my CV to apply to work with that particular strain of virus, H5N1 at CSIRO down here in Geelong. So there's only a couple of places in the world that host these pandemic strains of, yes, question. Wuhan? <laughs> yes, in the wet markets. They, ho- they have it there. No, no, it isn't. No, the CSIRO joint just over here. Yeah, there's not yeah. many of those places around. <laughs> no. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Is there one in Wuhan? Um, there's one, yeah, in Wuhan. Okay, yeah, that's so, all right. Keep going. Yep. And there's one in Perbright. Um, there's one in New York as well. Um, yeah, there's, there's a fair few. Like, there's a is few it one, of them. Is it Coney Island or yeah, something? Yeah, there's one yeah, Coney Island. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's basically a facility that can house or that can store uh, the most dangerous viruses in the world. Yeah, yeah, cool. So, so you've been to, to get your foot places. in the door there. Yeah. yeah. Is, okay, I'm like, okay, this is my next thing. Like, I've... I love this project. I want to find out more about pandemics and endemic viruses and all this kind of crazy stuff that can, you know, threaten the world. Yeah, yeah. And um, I was at uni in Melbourne at the time, but I ended up coming back down towards um, this way for a little bit. And I did a subject at Warm Ponds Deacon. And one of the guest lecturers was from CSIRO. And he was teaching us about immunology and his name was Andrew Bean and he has, has now become my mentor <laughs> for the last 10 years. So I approached him and I was like, I, I know that you guys have these viruses there. It wasn't what we were learning about, but I gave him my project and I said, can you please have a read over this? This is what I want to do. And he took me on board as a summer intern. And then from there, I ended up doing an honours year with him. So an extra year of uni. Where so you just... hold on, you're an intern at the CSIRO joint? Yep, a summer intern. Yep. Yes. So you did a summer internship. Can, can I just pause you for one sec? Yep. What was it like the very first time you went into that place? It's so scary. It's really scary. They've got, um, you learn all about the building first. Yeah. Um, the building is created to withstand earthquakes, um, different environmental events just sort of like not that we would have them here but cyclones and all that kind of stuff so you walk into this incredibly so it's a tank it is incredibly fortified building it is actually uh walls within walls within walls within walls and it's a box principle of a building so each time you walk through a secure door the pressure changes so you walk through a door it deflates you walk through, it reflates on the other side of you and you're now in another pressure kilopascals or whatever it is down. So you're walking into this fortress and it's completely you overwhelming. you need to equalize? Pardon? You know when you go down in fathoms yeah, in water, it's, you Yeah, it's equalize? not that bad, not but that it's bad. enough yeah. that um, 
if anything was to be spilled in a lab, all of it would be drawn into the center. So it's for safety. It's for air quality safety um, and containment of aerosols, basically. Uh, so it was super daunting. Um, everyone, so there's two, two... And were you just wearing your casual clothes? No. Yeah, I'm casual guessing. clothes. Oh, oh yeah. no, I wasn't. So I thought my impression was like, this is serious business. So I would like dress up. I've gone from being at uni in jeans and chucks yeah. to like thinking I'm an intern. I'm going to be this mad scientist chick. I'm going to dress up. So yeah. I dressed up. And people were like, who's this bitch? <laughs> like, what are you trying to do here? Yeah. Um, because obviously the guy that had come, you know, Andrew Bean, who had come to Deakin, he was dressed well. You know, he was a lecturer, um, doctor, you know, like, I'm like, oh, I'll just dress like him. So I turn up and all these other PhD students and all these other interns are like, mate, she's got to go. Like, who is this chick? And so I'm already there acting like, up here yeah 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 and so i just never stopped doing that oh really um obviously i i'd scaled it back a little bit but i was like oh fuck you peasants i'm (laughs) 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 uh and i just dressed you know the way that made me feel like i belonged there and Yeah. yeah so but that's very different so once you're in there there's two separate divisions there. One is the what they call the secure area and one is called the non secure area. And in the secure area it doesn't matter what you turn up to in work because you're going to take your clothes off and you walk through a shower chamber and then on the other side you put on the uniform that's been provided for you. It's and kind of like scrubs. Is that a, is that a suit that's contained? Not yet. Not it's yet. just scrubs. Okay. So you just have your normal scrubs that you would get around in kind of like the lunch area, the office area. Then you walk through a couple more chamber doors and that's when you would start upping up the personal protection. So you might wear a head um, piece with a respirator on it. Then the next level is you would be in a suit and your oxygen is sort of coming to you directly through a line. So fortunately, I only had to go into those areas a few times for my project and never had to um, go down the full respirator, putting on the big suit part. You can see it all, but I never had to do that. Um, my job was on this non-secure side where you could just turn up in your normal clothes and you're working with the products that have been created in that secure area, but in a very, very safe environment. Yeah. Okay. So So scary in this giant intimidating. Yeah. So in there, in the lab, they have diseases that they're cultivating or, or, or looking at that essentially if they got out, they could just would be fucking cooked. Yeah. It's so, like germ warfare kind of stuff. Yeah, bioterrorism. Bioterrorism. So once once you sign up to work at a place like CSIRO, you're not just signing up for six months to a year. You know, you go through a training program that involves getting ASIO clearance, yeah. signing away your life, handing over your passports. Mental health checks. Mental health checks. Um, doing all these things to um, tick a lot of boxes to provide you access to these biologicals. Um, It's very, very secure, the entire process. Um, There's, you know, scanners everywhere. You can't go anywhere unless you've got the clearance. Think about that, that science movie where people are putting their hand up against a wall or their retinas are being scanned. It's like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, So even just, it took probably two years to get my ASIO clearance 
to even be able to go into those types of areas to mm -hmm. work on any of this stuff. So, yeah. So, okay. So you gave your, um, the, the project that you're working on to the guy that was working at the CS and you asked him and you got the summer internship. Yeah. And yep. yeah. So I did really well at the summer internship. Um, then they have a program there, um, to do an honors year. So it's, a pretty standard thing. Um, university go on to do a set, an extra year to focus on one particular thing. So I chose to do an extra year and focus on immunology. And you would normally do that at the university, um, work in a university lab, but on rare occasions, they do let you do it offsite. So I applied to do it offsite with CSIRO. So I ended up doing my honors year there. I did really well. Um, and I actually scored really well. And this was through Deakin. So I decided to do a PhD after that, which is another sort of three to four year commitment. In my case, I ended up staying for like nine years, but I transferred to Melbourne Uni. So now I'm doing a PhD. So then I did a PhD, um, very similar project working on um, H5N1, avian influenza, looking at the immune responses and how they impact birds in the poultry industry, right? So how it all feeds into like, you know, what, what can we understand from, from poultry and what, how can we translate that to human health basically. Uh, so I did that there for three years after that, then continued on getting extensions, extensions project just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, what year are we here roughly? We're probably 2015. Okay. So not long ago. Yeah. 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 But basically I've been at uni since, 2003 mm -hmm. to 2015, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. Um, so a long time. And then it, there came a point where I I got the opportunity to continue moving in a new direction. <laughs> um, and so I left the project. Mm. I still what, have it. It's what finished. What was the cherry that made you go balk? The cherry was um, in academia and working at a place like CSIRO, no one has job security. So you're working in a one to two year time frame of being able to produce, publish, produce, publish under really, really stressful conditions and with a lot of competition from all academics all across Australia and across the world. And if you don't, if you don't have the passion to publish, you will perish, like you will not go anywhere. And I didn't have the passion to publish. I loved my lab work. I loved solving problems. I loved doing all the stuff that I did. But once I found out what it was that I, once I found the answers to my questions, I didn't have the drive to publish the data. So all of my PhD project is sitting there. We've used it in some publications. I wasn't the driver behind it, but the data has been used. And I have now a project that's sitting there. I'm writing it up and it just will be submitted as a thesis um, to kind of be on public record, but I'm never going to publish that work. So I met someone, um, at a conference who was working in the, not on the academic side of things, but in the industry side of things. And they, they gave me an opportunity to come straight over and work in industry. And with everything that was going on around me, CSIRO having funding cuts, it being super competitive, the way that you, um, have to write grants and, write your way into, um, funding. I just didn't, I didn't have the passion to do that. So I left. Totally understand. Mm. Yeah. So the job security on the industry side of things, 
it gave me flexibility to continue to love science. Like I didn't like being bogged down in paperwork. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Mm. Yeah, paperwork sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you want to have fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now I'm marketing manager <laughs> for a science company. So I get all the fun but still get to be very scientific. So now, hold on. So <laughs> when you were doing all this and studying in epidemiology... And immunology. And immunology. And you were, you could see that these things had the capability of terminating life as we know it. Mm-hmm. But no one was communicating it. So besides publications, um, besides publications, part of the job is to give presentations and communicate the work that we do to our peers, but also communicate the work that we do and translate it to the general population, mm-hmm. general population. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed explaining things to people. I really enjoyed breaking things down from the super complex science experiments to like, okay, well, what's the big picture here? Why are we doing this? And how does it translate to everyday life? So people who get stuck in the research lab, they don't do that part that they extend it to how it translates and how it helps everyone. They pitch it to their peers and then it just becomes this like, well, these are the really difficult experiments we did to do it, to get this answer. How did you do it? Like it just becomes this kind of back and forth between all this academic kind of um, mud throwing and no one's taking that and communicating it and going, Hey, well, this is what it means to everyone. And that's what I wanted to do. Mm. Yeah. Which is great because this is where I like quite often I get lost. And every time I like, I like science is wonderful. And you know, obviously it's, everything's built. If it wasn't for scientists, we wouldn't have anything mm. or understand much. But then I also find that I some like not taking anything away from you, but I feel like sometimes science is limiting mm. in what is in the, uh, you know, cause not everything can be explained. Yeah. And I feel like obviously you're not in this basket, but a lot of people who are science driven are like, well, if there's not an explanation, then it's not, yeah. then if science doesn't support it, then, you know, then, and I, I struggle with that a little bit Yeah. because you know, dark matter. But so we didn't know anything until we started researching. So everything has, everything can be explained. It's just a matter of how long it's going to take us to get there. Right. But there are things like dark matter and. I don't know anything about that. That's, no, that's what I mean though. <laughs> this is what I mean. That there are things in the universe that we can't, we yeah. still can't get our yeah. heads around. Yeah. Yeah. Which I love that there's still some mystery yeah, to it yeah. all. But anyway, look, I'll digress. Now, um, when you were at university... Back to the map. Bang. Um, when you are at uni or when you were studying, like let's say 2015, that was five okay. years ago. Yeah. Did you have any idea that, that this was likely to happen in the short future? No, not at all. I was just hell-bent on not becoming a poor scientist. I was like, I don't want to be stuck in the lab doing these experiments and having to fight for funding. I want to get out there and be a science communicator and do more than just lab work. What else can I do with my science? And so literally I had on one hand, I had um, an offer to go to Switzerland and work on diabetes research. And then on the other hand, I had this very random company saying to me, Hey, have you ever thought about working in marketing? Diabetes one or two, two, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? The visa fell through for the Switzerland gig. I was like, okay, well, thank you, universe. I'm just going to go do this now for a year or two. Let's then we can revisit this visa thing. 
So it just, my hand was made. Like I just, I just kept listening and just doing the next thing that was being thrown in front of me. And that's pretty much what I've done the whole time. Yeah, yeah, um, the obvious next right choice. Yeah. It seems yeah, that's a good way yeah. to roll. I was though. like, well, I've been saying I want to do this, you know, get out of, you know, the research and do, move on from, you know, Australian research and do something else. Like if it's not Switzerland, it's going to be this thing. So that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now when you watch all the movies like Outbreak. Get and, real. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually, some of that is based on Arl, CSIRO here in Geelong. They mention it in that movie. So, so I say so a lot. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit that out, right? No, I'm not going to. Oh. Uh, I just let it all just be. It's, okay. It's fine. Because um, I'm trying to launch into... Uh, when we're looking at the, the situation that we're living in right now, I'm looking at yeah. you wearing a face mask. You know, yeah. you're looking at me, I'm wearing a yeah. face mask. So if anyone in the future is listening to this episode, we are currently in the middle of a pandemic of SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus causing COVID-19, which is coronavirus disease 2019, which causes huge pulmonary issues, um, people difficulty breathing, and also systemic um blood vessel disease in people um so we're sitting across each other right now both of us are wearing face masks and we are in rural victoria where we actually have stage three restrictions so we're permitted to do this interview face to face because this is a media um for media purposes and communication um, but otherwise, no one's allowed to have people at their homes um, and you're only wa- allowed to walk around in groups of two if it's not your immediate family. And I have the windows cracked. And the windows are cracked. Um, I have 70% ethanol sitting in front of me if I feel unsafe at any time. And yeah, we're living in a very, very different world. And no, to your question is my answer. I did not see this coming in my lifetime. Um, but pandemics do occur every hundred years. That's right. And that, um, but when I'm, you know, I do a lot of listening to various people talking about this stuff and other people I've heard have said that we live in such a fragile, they're like, this is a medium level disaster. Yep. Um, like what is, this is a medium level disaster because, um, in terms of a health perspective, yes, this is a medium level disaster. We have, as a society, gone through um, bubonic plague, Spanish influenza, smallpox. These were epidemics and pandemics that wiped out often 50% of the world's population, right? So in terms of a health perspective, we are definitely getting off lightly right now in terms of... um, So sorry to cut you off. Why is it that some people are getting no symptoms Mm -hmm. to, to... to mild, mild symptoms mm-hmm. to other people um, being deathly sick and dying? There's a few different reasons. Um, we have to take, we have to look at everyone, okay? So do you have any underlying health condition? Okay, if you have an underlying health condition, you are more likely to suffer severe symptoms. And Type 1? Pardon? Type 1? Are you type 1? Okay, so type one. So you're at risk of developing more severe symptoms than other people because your immune system is already busy doing something else. Okay, so you're making insulin or you're not making insulin, sorry. Um, (laughs) Your body is already coping with the endogenous insulin T4 
taking on board insulin and the fact that you don't have a pancreas that makes insulin. Okay. So pancreas. Yeah. It's there 10 years ago. Just kicked the bucket. Right. But it's an autoimmune. So it really wasn't the pancreas kicking the bucket. Was it? It It's your body shutting down the pancreas. Saying, right. So having a fucking meltdown. I actually did a full episode on type one. Um, go back and listen to it. Very insightful. Pancreas basically recognized a non-self. The body starts attacking it and then your pancreas shuts down. You can't make insulin. So your body is already dealing with the fact that you can't make insulin. Obviously, you need insulin to survive. So if you then get a cold or other illnesses, you might suffer it a little bit more than others. But if you get coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, it is so aggressive on the immune system that you will suffer the severe side effects more than anyone else. And that's a reality that we're kind of living with now where people like, why is this person? Well, maybe that person doesn't know that they've got um, high blood pressure or they maybe they drink too much and they're just really fully inflamed inside already. You know, there's lots of different reasons why some people are getting um, severe symptoms and some people are not. But then again, there's whole other cohorts of people who are super fit and healthy and they are getting really, really sick. And that is to do with an overproductive immune system. Um, they're now looking into genetic factors and blood type. So if you have, I've got some new data actually today. Let me just, um, let me just pull that up for you. Um, and it's about blood typing and different blood types um, being this, more is, severe. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so like, like eight to your blood types, like, yeah. you know, some blood types are more carnivorous, some blood types are more. Yeah. So if you're thinking about, um, where the blood types came from and how the lineages of different blood types evolved, you know, in the sapien times, you know, I think, is it some are like on the plains and they're more adapt to eating, grains and nuts and then there's other people that were in the hills and they're better at eating fruits and stuff like that so hang on 21 da, 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 da. Uh, so that explains some of that i hope to you okay well i've got see. more but okay anyway. hang on here's yep. some data for you um okay spread the word okay um so from 800,000 people um, we have some data on a COVID-19 study. Is this okay. 800,000 that have died? No, this is just 800,000 people who have had it have and, had it and we know their blood type or okay. have had it or not had it and we know their blood type. Yeah. Okay. So O blood types are between 19 to 18% less likely than individuals with other blood types to have tested positive for COVID-19. O. O. O is the good one. Yeah. Okay. I don't even know what type I am. Really? You should know. I know I should know. I should know a lot. Do you want to hear something really stupid? You're going to roll your eyes and think I'm a fucking idiot when I tell you this. But two days ago, I looked in my fridge and I checked my insulin. And I was like, you know, because I, I, I know I, I got some Lantus a little while ago. And I was like, yeah, this stuff's, I know it's good. And then I was like, I'd been feeling a little run down for a while. Uh-oh. And I checked my Nova Rapid and it was expired on 01-2020. Oh, okay. It it you 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 has it been? Have you been turning your fridge off non often? <laughs> no, n- n- never, never. <laughs> Only for these episodes. <laughs> just just, just, no, just to get rid of yeah, the word. Yeah. Um, 
It's pretty thermostable. Um, it is. I was just yeah. wondering. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so and, unless you're having constantly taking it out of the fridge, leaving it out, you know, it's it's fairly thermostable and it's fairly stable for a while as long as you've kept it at four degrees. Um, but, you know, the, the effectiveness of the insulin does decrease over time. I would imagine. Yeah. So it's got a half-life, right? It's got a half-life in you because you have to keep having it every day. And it's being used up. But it has a half-life in the container as well because it degrades over time well, so you, it probably yeah. doesn't have the concentration right right that yeah. you think you're giving yourself yeah 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 well anyway i've been feeling a bit better since maybe it was just psychological did you get some new stuff <laughs> yeah i okay. rang a friend of mine that was a doctor yeah, straight away and yeah, she was like right? that's the power of the mind come over right? and i'll write your script right now have you ever heard of joe Dispenza? Yeah, why have I heard of Joe Dispenza? Um, you would have heard of Joe Dispenza because he is someone who um, uses the power of the mind to like heal, um, create health, create change. Um, and it's a, it's a meditation type series. Um, Did he write The Healing Code? Oh, he might have. He's written a lot of books. I've read a couple of them. Healing Code's not one of them. So, all right, hold on. Before we go down to Joe Dispenza, let's... Okay. Is there a slight possibility that this came out of that lab in Wuhan? Yeah. Okay. Is there a slight possibility that it could be man- being manipulated to become as contagious as it is or... I, I only reason I say this because you know listening to a lot of other podcasts and listening mm-hmm. to people talk about it yeah and there's been various scientists of various yeah. Th- there's know, no proof we don't have any um, definitive proof right now that it didn't come out of a lab but we also don't have any definitive proof um, that it didn't occur naturally yeah so we don't know so we don't know okay but um, it could it could have happened either way yeah yeah uh, whether it came out of a lab or whether it came out of the Wuhan wet markets, it's here. We're dealing with it. Yes. Right? Yes. But the the um, the contagiousness, or I can't recall the, what you just said, the infecti- infectiveness. Um, stickiness. Stickiness. Right. Did you hear me say stickiness? Oh, it's been thrown around. Right. Okay. Yeah, but you have said it, yes. So. It's getting stickier, right? It's getting stickier. So SARS, right, the original SARS. That wasn't very infectious. Okay. Yeah, and that's why we got lucky on that one. Is that right? It, hang on. Didn't stars say, have a ho- higher death sorry. rate? Yes. Very, very infectious. Right. Okay. Sorry. Very, very infectious because it was passed on and you had symptoms within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they were able to understand who had it um, and contain it very quickly because it didn't have this long incubation period. That's what I mean. So mm-hmm. didn't have this long incubation period where we don't know if someone has the virus or not for two, three days after they've been infected. And by this stage, they have huge viral loads and they're already progressing in their disease. Um, so SARS-CoV-2 is actually the second form of the original SARS. And it's changed in a way to make itself better because it has a longer incubation period so a virus wants to survive its whole thing is about survival it has no other purpose other than to does that mean it has a collective consciousness oh shit probably yeah it wants to survive that's its whole deal do you know what i mean like if you look at an ant on a table and you put your finger over the ant and the ant starts running away from your finger yeah 
And if you're a nice guy, you move your finger away. Not sure why you're trying to kill ants, but... I'm not. I'm using it as an example. <laughs> but no, my point is, is people say ants don't think. They don't have a conscience. But if an ant didn't think and you put your finger over it like that and start moving as if you're going to squash it, mm. and, and it's running away because it's fucking scared. Well, who says ants don't think? People. <laughs> <laughs> What people? Look, there's people. So just, um, do you know what I'm saying though? Yeah. So then if, if this virus is thinking, hey, I don't want to die. Mm. So. What the fuck? Okay. So pivot or perish. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So over time, over the last, so SARS was, I'm not, I'm going to get the year wrong, but it, I think it was, oh, let's say, oh, Let's say just, let's just say 05. It probably wasn't, but it's had 15 years of adaptation to get to where it is now. So it has evolved and made small changes along the way in whatever circulating population it was going through, whether it be through animals or whatever. And now in 2020, it takes, it can hang around for 14 days without being detected. So hold on. COVID-19 is SARS evolved. Yes. So COVID-19 is a cause. So COVID-19 is coronavirus disease 2019. That's the sickness. Okay. The sickness is caused by a virus called SARS coronavirus 2. SARS-CoV-2. The original SARS, SARS coronavirus. Right. Severe acute respiratory virus, coronavirus. What we have right now is part two. Yeah. So if it's evolved and it's more sticky and it's getting more sticky. Yeah. So it evolved to have first, the first evolution was this longer incubation. But it was more deadly. It was more deadly, but it was being it eliminated was, too quickly. That's right. Right. So yep. it was killing the host yep. before it could move on. Yeah. Uh-huh. So now we have this longer incubation period. But we've now developed ways um, to protect ourselves. You know, we've got, we understand more about the virus. We're using hand sanitizer. Um, it wasn't being transmitted as quickly. You know, that, that first wave is really just such a small little blip now for Victoria. But what happened was in Europe, another genetic change happened. So each time it moves from one person to another, it changes slightly. Then in Europe, it had this one change, one amino acid change that made the crowns on the outside five times more. So five times more crowns on the outside of it the virus. It doubled. It more than doubled. <laughs> five times more yeah, doubled. It, it quintupled or whatever that is, right? <laughs> okay, so... Uh, it quintupled. Yeah, it, right, it quintupled okay. the, cr- the crowns that are sitting on the outside of the virus. And those crowns... How can something morph so heavily? That seems like a huge leap. One change. This is one change, right? Yeah, one genetic change. One genetic you, difference. One change would be a double, not a quadruple, not a five triple. Who knows? These survival of the fittest. So what happened was it had this one genetic change, five times more crowns or spikes on the outside, and it's the spikes that actually stick to the human cells. So we've got this receptor in our body called um, ACE2, and when the virus comes in, it sticks to the ACE2. The spike protein sticks to the ACE2. So now think about a virus that you might come across in the environment that has five times more crowns on the outside. So it's five times stickier than it was before. 
And that's what we have now in Victoria. And that's the second wave. And that's what escaped from hotel quarantine. Oh, yeah. good, good job. Good job. Um, <laughs> so, how, how, like, I'm fucking. <laughs> Okay, so it's five times more stickier, and that's had one change. Mm-hmm. That's one change. Then, yeah, how is there like a timeline? We're monitoring it. So each time, not every person who gets tested for coronavirus and um, has their their swab take goes to the lab. Not every one of those has the genetic um, data sequenced. Sometimes it'll just be the positive, negative, but a whole bunch of them go off to another lab for the entire genome to be sequenced, and we've been monitoring that the entire time. So um, you, there's online tools you go on and you basically, you know, look at this genetic change and you see it flood across Australia and how the, our pie chart changes from being one particular species of the virus to the another. And now we have just this virus, just this genetic, genetically modified one. Okay. Okay. Um, so we don't know much, but we know it's changing. We don't know how long unless we get a, 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 a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Until we get a vaccine, we can only social distance, um, wear masks, keep washing our hands with that stuff. Mm-hmm. What, what we need to do... In a, oh, go no, ahead. no, no. I was going to say, I read this morning that there's three vaccines coming out that, that China are leading the way in, 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 in uh, immunization, in a vaccine. Is this mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that, doesn't got, that seem uh, counterintuitive? Well, fuck me drunk. Yeah. <laughs> Do you okay, know what calm down. <laughs> no, it's like, are you kidding me? These guys are going to give the world a virus and give us the cure. It just seems a little bit convenient. Sure. No? Am I off track when I, I was I, reading I, that? No, I think everyone in the world is working together to, to develop a vaccine. Yeah. It might seem like, you know, some countries are trying to outdo others and hoarding supplies and doing all this stuff. But as a community, all of the scientists are working together to, um, to help get rid of this, to help develop therapies or vaccines. Go. Yep. Why though, are some people looking at it like a money spinner? I, I keep reading that. Like yeah. some, some, some people are trying Look, to whatever company it. comes up with the vaccine is going to get a lot of money. There's okay. no doubt about it. Yeah. There's a race. For the um, money? Huh? It's for the money or it's for the the health of the world? Both. Both. This this world is driven by money. You know, like you said before that, you know, this pandemic, we're lucky. Like we're not having huge health burdens, right? But this pandemic is an economic pandemic, mm-hmm. right? We have more economic impact from this virus than we have had in the last hundred years, right? Because the world has stopped and that's why it's huge. Um, but it's still a huge health issue and everyone's working towards getting the economy back. Right. And the only way we can do that is by coming up with therapies and vaccines. And there's going to be a huge race by those pharmaceutical companies. There's no doubt. Um, and it already has been one of the, um, the viruses, uh, one of the vaccines that's being put out by this pharmaceutical company, you're actually going to do the stage three clinical trials here in Geelong. Um, it's coming. Soon. Hmm. So, how long do you think? 
best case, we have best case scenario 12 months 12 months is best case scenario so we're going to be mitigating risk yeah for 12 months more yeah it's the only safe way and you need you... vaccines to go through all the appropriate channels you don't want to happen you don't want like in russia right now they have skipped all of the um, who guidelines to get their vaccine out within their population but what happens then is it's not regulated and it can't be approved because of the way that they've take, they've done it. And mm. so it can't go to the, anyone else in the world, even if it is effective. Is it effective? We don't know. We won't know. And we'll probably never know because they haven't done the appropriate trials and randomized control and um, they don't have a placebo group, which means that they don't have a group that's not getting the vaccine. Yeah, well, I'm sure right. Vladimir's got a placebo group. It's like, <laughs> do you have it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll shoot you. <laughs> yeah, okay. So basically, if you didn't get the vaccine, you're dead, yeah. right? Or if you... <laughs> yeah, because, boom. You feel better? Yeah, I yeah. thought so. <laughs> um, but what may happen is that um, another country may take that vaccine and do the placebo trials, and then, you know, we may see it being effective. It may be a great vaccine. We don't know. But without the proper controls, you can't just give it to everybody. Was Iran hiding its numbers? Yeah, probably. Why? Like, I just, these are things that I don't understand. Well, what's the point? Like, we're all, everyone's struggling. And did you, sorry, I'm not going to change the thought again. Yeah. Who, who are the people that keep the statistics in America? That, um, so if someone dies, that goes to these people. Yeah. They keep the record. Huge mess up. That, those people have now been null and voided and the results are going straight to the White House. Trump's nicked that. Have, yeah. Did you read that one? No, but it doesn't surprise me. Because he wants to be in control of the numbers mm-hmm. instead of th- this um, independent... Yeah, because too many reporters were trying to point out to him that no, the data that, you, that you've been presented for these press conferences isn't, isn't accurate. So he was re- reporting on things that were making America look good because of the way that his staffers were providing it to him. And then everyone else was coming out and saying, no, this is actually what the numbers are. The, America is actually in the worst position in the world. And he just w- didn't want to hear that anymore. So, Still? Huh? Still? It's up there, yeah. Per capita. Mm-hmm. Who's giving it a run for the money? Brazil. And they've been climbing steadily now for a little while mm-hmm. are they going to overtake because of sheer just population and it's a third brazil, world country yeah, yeah likely yeah but there's more compliance in brazil so i think that once they get their health measures in place you may see things plateau in brazil a little bit more and it will be one of the places that they put a vaccine first because of the rate of infection oh okay yeah um it's a lot to chew. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you've been of huge. Um, so, hold on. Now, you were were you living in Melbourne before this went down and at the, the change? Start? Yeah. Yeah. So I was living in Melbourne um, and actually commuting down to Geelong to work at CSIRO when I had this other opportunity um, given to me. So, yeah, stayed living in Melbourne. Um, and yeah, I've been working for this company now for five years as marketing manager. And we actually service all of the researchers. So we're like a supermarket and we have the import permits to bring in all of the products to help researchers in the lab. Then we um, distribute that to different universities and research institutes. 
Um, you'll be surprised that majority of our products that we have working on COVID-19 right now are all from China. <laughs> no, I'm not, I mean, I'm not surprised. Um, and, and look, I, look, I know I gave China a bashing then. It's okay. I mean, there's so I've been to China before. It's beautiful, but there's so much we don't know about what's going on over there. I mean, I could really change gears and say, uh, you know, I think they they have a higher agenda. Yeah, probably. You know, world order <laughs> pushing out into the um, which seas are they are they pushing into at the moment? Building an, an island at the bottom, trying to claim the rest of that yeah. ocean. Yeah. The, the yeah. first time ever, I think yeah, Australia. Yeah, country. <laughs> Can't underestimate them. <laughs> well, I think they want you know to be the number one top dog, and mm. they probably are economically already. Mm. They just don't have the military might yet to flex it. They've got quite a big military might, but yeah, that's stuff that I don't, I can't venture into. <laughs> um, yes. Anyway, and probably best that I don't because it's another rabbit hole. So then you, um, at the start of this pandemic, you were down here and you started Farty Facts. That wasn't a thing well, beforehand, was it? Did I miss something? What? Okay. So I was working in Melbourne five years for this company in February. Um, my boss had just come back from Japan um, and he called an all-staff meeting and, you know, we'd heard... Oh, Feb? Feb. Can I rewind you a little bit? Mm. When did this first pop on your radar? This was a question I had Feb. in my head. It was Feb? Feb. I would have thought it'd been earlier than Feb. So we've seen um, different viruses spike up over time. They usually get contained very quickly and they rarely move from country to country. Coronavirus was in Wuhan. We'd heard about the outbreak, um, knew about the outbreak, but it wasn't really moving between countries. We didn't know much because nothing was really being reported beyond the walls of China. And even we didn't really know what was going on within China. We didn't understand the how big it was getting. Because well, they were fudging too. Because it was being fudged. Yeah. So we kind of go through and then you have like maybe there's a case here, a case there, but to me, SARS, I understand SARS, it it got contained very, very quickly. Which country did SARS affect? Was it South Korea? Um, South Korea, yep. Is that why they had such a quick, good response to... I don't know about their response, but uh, yeah. I, I mean, to this one now, because yeah. they already had dealt with SARS probably. before. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, sorry, yeah, more, go on. Probably more of a cultural thing as well, having had gone through that before. Uh, so we'd, you'd seen a, a few cases here and there, but wasn't really like until, you know, the cruise ships were really taking right. a hit that yeah. we sort of thought, okay, what's going on here? And so, yeah, my boss had been overseas and, you know, Japan was taking note. Japan was making changes and the ski fields were not as, <laughs> as crowded as, as they could have been. And, few things were changing so as soon as he got back uh he called an all-staff meeting and he said this is coming and this is coming we need to first of all strategize what's going to happen for the business and then we need to adapt here because things are going to change so straight away we converted all of our um marketing strategies and business strategies for researchers around communicating what products might become available reaching out to suppliers, understanding what 
was on the horizon, who could adapt, which facilities could start making the products that we knew researchers would need. So that was the first thing. After about two weeks of still being in Melbourne, towards the end of Feb, my boss said, okay, everyone's going to start working from home. Who can work from home? And that was huge for us. We're a very dynamic sales driven, you know, you know, have these team meetings every morning and we're like a big team and for everyone to be working from home as a strategy was like, whoa, what's happening yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. And so we, as a, as a team, we went around the table and we're like, okay, well, what do we think is going to happen here? And everyone sort of had their, had their say. And I was like, oh, well, you know, SARS is, they'll, it'll, they'll get on top of it. It'll be controlled. This is not a few months. We'll be back to normal. And got to my boss and he said, we're planning for 18 months. I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean we're planning for 18 months? He's, I was like, no, we'll get a, you know, it'll be blood therapies. It'll be, um, there'll only be a handful of people that are going to be impacted by this. We'll be fine. And he, he, he just knew he had this, you know, intuition that it was going to be bad. And so from the start of March, we were all working from home. I moved, I was in my apartment in Melbourne and, you know, living with one other housemate and I started getting to, in my mind, this 18 month thing. I was like, I can't stay in my apartment with my housemate for 18 months. <laughs> I was going through all that pandemic planning that I'd, you know, developed over all my years at CSIRO, understanding what could happen. Started researching. I was like, I have to get out of here. So I packed my car to the roof I got out and I just came down here and my housemate was sort of saying, are you kidding? He's like, stop being so dramatic. I was like, I'm out. And I was like, you know, where you get the dressing gown and I had all of my wardrobe in my, I'm folding up my dressing gown. That's like my yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like a moment in a movie. Right, I'm out. Yeah. I'm like, I'm taking my favorite cups. I'm taking all of my wine. I'm taking, I took so many random things. My housemate was just watching me being like, you've gone mental. Is he science driven? No, he's... Yeah, um, okay. Yep, so he's really just like... <laughs> he's this young kid. He's like... No, he's a young man. He's like 23, um, owns owns a CrossFit gym. And he's just looking at me like, oh, this is sweet. I'm going to have this whole apartment his to myself. His business is still going? At this stage, yeah. His yep. business is still going. He's looking at me like, you've yeah, lost you're it, going Sarah. You've, yeah. gone, you've lost your rocker. Like, what are you doing? So I, But I, you know, I took so much stuff. And I just thought to myself, what do I need? Took my passport. Just took all the things I thought, I'm, I'm pandemic planning now. I'm, I'm out of here. It's like I'm fleeing the city before the line, you know, like you see in a movie. Before it goes bumper to bumper and everyone goes crazy, I'm getting out. So I did that. And I came back down here to Janjuk, um, you know, dumped everything at my parents' house. Um, couldn't even walk into my room, just went straight to my boyfriend's house. And I was like, that's it, I'm done. I'm here now. And a couple of months <laughs> after that um, was when everyone started being like, okay, and there's no movement around. And I think I was still have my apartment. So I went up one weekend, um, got everything out, rented my room out you know trying to like move thinking okay this is 18 months you know got to stop paying rent in melbourne and all this stuff and then the next day they pulled the stage three so i got out right in time i changed my address so, so now i'm down here like that's it no going back and 
Is that what now? <laughs> obviously, someone said to you, "You, you have, you're a wealth of knowledge here for a yeah. lot of people who are walking in the dark." Yeah. Um, how can you help? So how did it start? Yeah. How, how did <laughs> okay, party so, facts come about? So the week that I moved down, I was obviously pretty rattled. I was thinking people aren't taking this seriously. I'm taking it seriously, but I know so much and I know what's going to happen here. So I made a couple of short videos about complacency and about what it means to have um, a virus that is considered pandemic and a video about face masks. This was in March, the first week of March. I made these little short one-minute videos and I... I was going to post them on my, I posted them on my Instagram just as an Instagram story kind of thing on my personal page. And people started bombarding me with questions. So I opened it up. I was like, okay, what's your question? And I think I got flooded with like 150 questions. I was like, okay, people that no one's telling people, people want answers. So I started constructing, you know, these videos to help address a lot of these questions And I knew that it was going to be more than just my little network. And so I ended up making this Farty Facts Facebook page thinking that that can be the place where all those questions go so that I don't flood my normal, annoy my normal, you know, feed, Insta, because... You know, I'm annoying enough <laughs> with like <laughs> the shit I tell people, yeah. um, and and the stuff that I post on my normal Facebook about weird science experiments. You know, whatever. I know people love engaging with it, but this is going to be every day. So I was like, I'll create something new, and then it just overnight in one week, I think there was four thousand people on the page in a week, and I was like, okay, now there's seven thousand. And it's been months of every day answering people's questions. And I think the first night, the first day I set it up, I just decided I'll do a live tonight and we'll see what happens. And I think the first live, so I hadn't, I just posted these videos and I did a live that night and there was like 300 people on it. I was like, okay, there's people that need answers. And so I did lives every single night answering people's questions and, you know, creating topics around what I think people should know. Um, and I did that for probably two months and now I'm back to twice a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot though. It like, was a lot. Yeah. Um, so working full time and then every night, you know, having a wine and just opening up the stage to to every mum, dad, <laughs> and, you know, anyone who had a question basically. Um, and yeah, it just, it's really snowballed. Yeah. You're on the, when you're in the news or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm working with nine news now doing, Hey, really? Yeah. So I've done probably just four clips for them making videos. Um, and then have been on their new South Wales news, like nightly news, I guess it is. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> what a wild, like, you know, shift in your career. Yeah, sort definitely. Of. And I think, I think one of the big things is that everyone wants to know these answers, but there's not many scientists who can articulate it and articulate it in a way that is digestible for people and without any kind of, um, babble around 
you know, acronyms. Like you, you see people on TV and you're like, what does that acronym stand for? You know, so my brother is an engineer. Right. He works for a company. He's worked for him for a long time. But he had, they have him dealing with clients a lot because he can... He's good with people, which is very rare for engineers. Yeah. For an engineer. So he can go and do look and, and oversee a project and understand everything, but then mm. go and talk to it in just like lame you know, to, yeah. to normal every now and then. Yeah, and that's which what, is a hard and skill. that's what my job has become now yeah, yeah. with Fardy Facts is taking really complex issues around this virus and every day there's two hundred papers coming out, right? Someone's publishing every two hundred papers a day. And what is important for people to know and what you know, just, everyone says, oh, do your own research. Well, and not everyone can research and it's really no, difficult. No, my fucking reading is so, for me, so boring. I just hate yeah. reading. Yeah, So Listening, I can listen to people talk. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's farty facts. You tune in and it's like, okay, well, here's the stuff that's important this week. And it, maybe it's not specifically about the virus itself or maybe it's about how I need to change my behavior in certain areas or what I need to be mindful of. Like, you know, no one thought that you'd have to be spraying your packages from the supermarket. No one thought that coronavirus might come in on your frozen meat. Like these are the things that I'm translating to people. But, you know, not even just uh, surviving the virus, but in surviving your own mind under duress. Yeah. Like, not working, being alone at home. Yeah. Um, you know, like I know that a lot of people have been suffering yeah. mentally. Yeah. 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 Through this. Yeah. And so like, what are you, you know, how's your conversation with yourself? Mm. How's, you know, like I, I've definitely got better at just saying, fuck it. Yeah. And, and being like, it's okay. Oh, totally. I'm just going to go and watch telly right now. Yeah. Because I just can't be fucked dealing with anything. And that's okay. Completely. Completely. And I think for for people who follow Farty Facts, people got sick of the news. They got sick of the oh, doom and dude, the gloom. So... And I get 10 emails a week of people saying, I only listen to you. I can't deal with what's going on out there. Thank you for helping me and my husband through this. It's like they don't want to know the bullshit that's being reported every single day, but they can tune in and they can go, okay, well, she's not telling me anything I don't need to know. She's not um, sensationalizing everything. Just as here's what we need to know this week. Well, you're a scientist just shooting from the hip. Yeah. Which is yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Because, like, I don't trust news. No. I, I'm not politically motivated. No one's paying me yeah. to do any of this. Um, and. It's creating a community now of people that support each other. So if I, you know, this page has, you know, these these groups where people interact and ask questions of each other and like, oh, well, Sarah said this on this date, but Sarah, tell us what you think about this. And Sarah, you know, like it's become this community of people who are looking after each other. And that's what I was saying to you earlier before we started this is that it's it's become a community of people who are like-minded and they want to help each other and you know, with people's businesses and people not working and people transitioning and pivoting to online, like, you know, Farty Facts will be a place to kind of put all of that, you know, into one one place for everyone to support each other within that community. It's, it's awesome. A, it's a cult. <laughs> <laughs> FFC. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you're making masks, you pivoted again. Oh, pivot. And, so much yep, pivoting. Pivoting. Um, so, yeah, I was pretty 
was pretty burnt out um, a couple of weeks ago, working full time. Um, at, at work, we've never been busier. Obviously, every scientist wants to be working on coronavirus, um, which means that we're working double time, triple time to make sure everyone gets the products that they need. So, um, yeah, working, trying to trying to juggle farty facts, um, trying to, you know, I'm, you know, working with nine news and writing newspaper articles and being pulled in so many different directions. Um, I took a couple of weeks off work just to, um, reset. I, I did have a snow trip planned, but that all fell through when they closed the mountain. Um, but what I decided to do instead <laughs> was create a small business with my sister <laughs> and make these face masks. So really take some time out. Yeah, I really yeah. just thought yeah. I'd just relax and um, ended up making, yeah, so far I think, yeah, 1,300 masks that we've been able to distribute all over Australia. So where can, say, so where could I get such yeah, a mask? Oh, yeah, farty-facts.com.au forward slash online shop. Uh, but yeah we supplied a whole bunch to the royal children's hospital and we've given away 10 percent of the masks to um, frontline workers and teachers and um, kinder teachers and stuff like that so yeah it was a it's a nice little two-week break Um, this is the last weekend of that break so I go back to work on Monday but Yep, you've got a mask sitting in front of you right now, so cherish it. Um, Thank you so much. Probably won't make any more now that I'm back at work full time. But, yeah, it's been um, an adventure. So back at work Monday. Yeah. From home. Yeah. And this is back with the marketing. Yeah. And so when you say marketing, what are you marketing in the science world? So we supply for 75 different brands that, make products or manufacture products um like test tubes that's me being stupid no that's cool um more like the ingredients for cooking so there's companies out there that would is that a metaphor no (laughs) (laughs) like cooking (laughs) cooking up the science experiments so uh, just like you go to the supermarket and you need the ingredients that's what we provide scientists so they need all the different elements to a recipe to help them with their hypothesis um in the lab so we sell like cells so cells yeah like what pig cells or all kinds so we sell cells yep (laughs) (laughs) so we sell in a petri dish yeah yeah so all the goodies that would go into an experiment um in cells or in animal experiments like bubble bubble toil and trouble yeah all of the stuff that you would add into those experiments we sell so in marketing i market to scientists so i take the products that are being produced in the um so do you sorry to cut you off yeah it's okay like hey <laughs> hey get get our pig cells they're way better than those people's other their pig cells they're 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 inferior pig cells get ours basically kind of yeah. yeah so there's lots of companies that do this um, that sell products to scientists and we represent brands that would be that are the industry leader for their particular product so top tier products and things that are um, quality checked and have you know reproducible they've been used in publications they come from really well represented companies with great reputations um, and yeah we it's, it comes from the scientists, so the scientists will have a need. They'll come to us, and then we'll provide them with um, 
a couple of different options and then they choose the option they want and then we broker that product in from the supplier overseas. So you need special permits to bring biological products into the, the country and without a biological permit, nothing will get through customs. So things have to stay at temperatures of like minus 80, minus 24 degrees or room temp. And we manage that supply chain for the customer from the manufacturer to their lab. So in terms of marketing, depending on the, sometimes it's the, the manufacturer saying, hey, this is what we've got that's new, or maybe this is what these people might need for these types of experiments. And then so you just market them in whatever way you need to for the different product, whether it's new or something that's, you know, um, being repurposed. And that's what's happening now. A lot of drug repurposing, you know, you would have heard of ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine and all those different medications that are used in already in the healthcare system. We also bring those products in for scientists to test. Is that the high, the high, to say that one again? Hydroxychloroquine. Is that the one that Trump was saying? Oh yeah. Yeah. Inject that. Yeah. That's it's no good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we have, um, there's probably around 30,000, 40,000 life scientists in Australia and being the leader in our industry, we have a captured market. So they know us, they come to us, we're the place they come to, we're like, you know, the top tier supermarket that they would go to. Um, they trust us, they come, they go on our website or they send us, you know, inquiries and it just goes from there. So is there anything that um, that you feel like, I, I'll just say that I should know moving forward with with in this pandemic's realm? Like anything that you've been thinking about lately that you've just been like, oh, fuck, I need to get this out there. Um, that's me every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's always evolving. Uh, I think that there is great dialogue now a lot, across lots of different mediums. So lots of stuff is getting out there. I think that we're still very complacent. Yeah. So as a whole... I know in Victoria, we're all sitting here around face masks and we're taking hand sanitizer everywhere we go and there's warning signs everywhere. Um, I think something that really scares me is that the rest of Australia is not taking it seriously. Outside of Victoria, people aren't wearing masks, but yet they have, you know, under the surface bubbling, you know, spread of the virus. And it's become very, very political. In New South Wales, the Premier said that she wouldn't shut down the state. Okay, she said that two months ago, and she's sticking by that. It's wild how the divide in Australia at the moment, mm. like the hate is incredible. Yeah. yeah. I think that, you know, the state leaders really need to get together because it's the state, the state leaders who decide what happens in the state, right, in this kind of situation. So they all need to get together and chat a bit more about what's best for um, for everyone because complacency in one area breeds hate and complacency in other areas. And we, there's still a lot, a lot of non-compliance here in Victoria. <laughs> and, you know, you speak to people in New South Wales, they're like, oh, no, this really doesn't matter up here. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. the virus is there, yeah. you know, and so we'll you should be is... taking steps to pre prevent what's happening here. Well, I mean, you don't have to be a genius to, to look at... New Zealand 
didn't have a case for 100 days mm. and now they've got 20-something cases. Yeah, 40 how, in one week. Yeah. How does that happen? You can go 100 days with none. Mm. That's how infectious it is. But where, where did it come from? Who knows? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or is it just lay, like, is it a bunch of asymptomatics cruising around? Could be. And then all of a sudden you get a symptomatic. Yeah. Like, uh, that's yeah, so confused me. It's confusing. Um, there's a couple of different theories. There's one that the virus was never, um, that never left. Um, that it's a lot of asymptomatic um, cases. So it's sort of like just bubbling in under the surface and it's being spread around in the um, young demographic in, in the 20 in the year olds group. The other theories are that it came in on shipping goods Mm. Um, and potentially someone else came in, maybe had a longer incubation period, longer than the 14 days, they've got out of their hotel quarantine, and they've become sick and starting to infect others. Um, we don't have the genomic data from that outbreak yet. Um, once we do, we'll understand whether it was the original circulating virus that was going around New Zealand or whether it was something that was then introduced. So mm. we've got a fingerprint of the virus, mm -hmm. and we know where it's been. And we know where it came from. So once we get that info in New Zealand, we'll understand whether it was bubbling under the surface or whether it is the mutated stuff that's come in. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. It is wild. Mm. So I think if there is anything to say about the virus, it would definitely be don't, come, don't become complacent because it's always changing. And we don't know what's coming next, you know. Well, it's just look, uh, and the complete. Just my mum said to me tonight. I haven't seen her for a little bit. Why don't you come over for dinner? Mm. And I was just like, I, "You're not I'm allowed. Not, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just. I'm not coming over because I would feel fucking terrible. Mm. You know, as much as I want to. Yeah. I would feel terrible if I was to get anybody sick. Yeah. Also, being type 1 diabetic, you really need to think about yourself as well. So you're at risk. You yeah, have a, yeah, yeah. a risk of developing more severe symptoms than other people. So, you know, you're wearing a face mask right now. I hope that you can see that, you know, you can be impacted too. Just because you're wearing a face mask doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden immune. This is a shield. Oh, it's a psychological shield. <laughs> no, I know. I can feel it fucking sucking in around the edges. Do you but know how many I, okay. I do feel Here better. Here's some, here's some hand sanitizer. <laughs> do you know how many times you've touched that mask? I'll uh, tell you. 25. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever touch the outside of your mask. <laughs> Just like scratch. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I tell you, I do feel a little bit better in the supermarket. I don't like the mask, but the fact that there's a pandemic and we're yeah. all now adhering to it, it feels better. It does. You the feel... supermarket was daunting. Yeah. Before? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, People sneezing. Yeah. No social distancing. And, and these masks do help you feel better. Yeah. So um, on closing, how do I have to clean that? That's been sanitized. No, I don't mean now before I put it on. I mean like in life. If I wear it for a week. Oh, don't know these. Consider so. How, how long have you had that mask on? I don't know. Look, honestly, I just there's a couple floating around. There's one in the car, and I just grab them as I'm leaving the house. Yeah, so they just should be used for one day. Uh, I know you're not you're wearing it for eight hours at a time, 
but they're disposable, right? So you've yeah, got yeah. on a, a blue this nurse's is... mask that's adjustable that goes kind of around your ears and right up over your nose and under your chin. Mm. They're just single use only. So that these masks that I'm wearing and the, what I've given you, this material mask, these are three layers. Um, sorry, two layers, but um, can be made three. Oh. They're also single use. So like how do you like put your undies on the ground and then just when you go out, put them on again? Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> no, I'm joking. So that's how we yeah. have to think about face masks now. Um, that's what I mean. So do you, what do you? So single use. So you want to get a few of these cotton type ones and then just wash them. Yeah. Okay. So they wash up really well. Yeah. Um, I've probably got four or five now floating around, and yeah, you got to wash them. Yeah. <laughs> and what about the bandana? Yeah, just as good. You, okay. you, you just have to have something. Something. Yeah, so something is better fined. than nothing. So. As long as you can double it up and more than just one layer, um, that's better than nothing. But again, you've got to wash it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we are protecting each other by both wearing face masks. And so anything I'm breathing out, you know, it's not landing on you. Nothing's landing on me. But if you walk through an environment where you don't know if someone, you know, the aerosols can stay in the air for up to four hours and they can travel 16 meters. So... If you walk through a space and it lands on the outside of your mask and then you're continuing to touch the outside of your mask or you come back into your home and leave your mask somewhere and then you pick it up and you put it on or you put it on the wrong way and then you've got those particles. So they can st- the particles of coronavirus can stay to the outside of that surgical mask for seven days. Seven days. Yeah. So, like, other diseases mm-hmm. can't live really outside the body for yeah. more than, like, 20 minutes, most of them. Is that right? It depends. Depends. Yeah. But not. I don't think not too long yeah. from my layman's yeah. Yeah. knowledge. Yeah. This, this one, seven days. The survival of this virus is incredible. The adaptations it's made to survive outside the body, we haven't seen this before. So, seven days on the outside of a surgical mask. Like... Four hours in the air, like cardboard, two days, coins, copper, couple of days. Money. Money, polymer, plastic, yep, couple of days. Yeah, okay. Um, In the fridge for two weeks. In the fridge? Yeah. In the cold? Yep. I I would have thought the cold would kill it, obviously not. No, heat? Yes. Sunlight. No, <laughs> this is what my dad said. He's like, oh, can I just put my mask on the dashboard and the yeah, sunlight? Yeah, that's what I always be thinking. Um, so I'll just heat, it out a little bit. <laughs> heat has to be 70 degrees for five minutes. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. That's quite a bit. Yeah. So the best thing to do is wash it in soapy water. So just your regular wash. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> I know it's a lot. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. okay. That's life. In you didn't sign up to this, did you? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Just uh, pivot, you know. Yeah, pivot. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm down here in um, three double two eight, living my best life. Got another twelve months up my sleeve of um, being in this remote working, in and out of stage three, stage four uh, lockdown. Um, working from home, um, so I decided to buy a block of land. This um, is huge news. Congratulations. Huge. Thank you. I just settled on Monday. So, yeah, the oh, I had a very short settlement, 30 days. Um, I think people were keen to sell and, <laughs> and move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but bought a block of land in Torquay, so I'm pretty pumped. It's kind of in the old Torquay area, so awesome. not in any of the new estates. 
Um, so I'm going to have a little bit of a project for the next 12 months while I'm down here. Besides Farty Facts, I'm working, but I'm going to build a house, which is exciting. You know what's crazy is like the, the, the property market is really strong at the moment, considering yeah. everyone keeps saying that we're on the edge of a recession. Yeah. So the initial um, projections, I think, were to take a 30% dive. Um, it's been redefined now to a 10% dive in some markets, but down here with the first home buyer and the first home builder grants, it's strong. Yeah. Mm. They got me. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank that's, you. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It is. So, so much adulting. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> well, you're a scientist. Now. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. adulting. Yeah. Now I'm going to be like a builder. I'm just going to pivot. Keep moving. <laughs> Keep moving. Yeah. Sarah, I'm going to say thank you so much. Usually this is it. I'd shake your hand, but... No, we can't. Bang. Bang. Elbows. Virtual oh elbows. God. Thank you. Well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than Sarah Fardy. Scientist, almost doctor. Can't wait till she is a doctor. I, I've got to the other side of this, this, this conversation and I realized I just had so much more con- uh, questions. Um, so, you know, down the track, we'll have to get her back because I've got a lot of questions about a lot of different areas that I know she knows about. Um, and it's good to have someone that's uh, authorized in the house to speak on such things. Um, Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're having a nice day, night, morning, whatever it is, wherever it is. If you're lending me your ears, I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks so much for tuning in. Um, Yeah, be well. Be aware where you are on the fuse. Do you have a lot of lot of fuse in, in your wick today or or is there not much wick in your fuse? If you know where you are at that, you know how to tread and and um, you know, give yourself some time out, go and do something nice. Everyone's in the same boat at the moment. Uh, you know. There's there was this great thing I listened to um, the other day where Joe Rogan was talking to Rob Lowe. If you haven't listened to that podcast, I recommend it. I really enjoyed that chat. Um, anyway, he was talking about DMT and and Rob Lowe was like, what are you taking from the DMT? What are you taking from the DMT? You know, what, what are you getting? Bringing any lessons back from this spiritual drug, you know, that's in our brain. Um, and, and, and Joe said, yeah, yeah, well, this one time I was on the DMT and... Uh, like, you know, he was having a hallucination in the spirit world and it was all these like jesters, joker-looking things like on the back of a card, playing cards, sort of like that jestery thing, all, hundreds and hundreds of them all around him, all doing circles around him, flipping him off, giving him the bird going, fuck you, fuck you. And he was having this fucking trip, right? And he said in the trip he realised that they were... um that they were that he was taking himself too seriously and he goes oh, oh i get it i get it i get it you see i see you, i'm taking myself and they were all started, all these jesters started nodding like yeah man you're taking yourself too fucking seriously and and he said that that's what he brought back from that trip and and that's fucking cool so um you know like we can all get caught up in our shit and i think if we can just slow down be with the people that we're with, um, 
and just go a little easier on ourselves and others and, and, and just not take ourselves too seriously. You know, that's just it's such – I loved it when I heard that. Eh? That, was, that was a good one. Um, so wherever you are in the wide world, be well and I'll see you next time. Okay. Adios. Adios.